Covered in Glory is presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook, the greatest sports betting app of all time. Download it, must be 21 years or older. of Covered in Glory, and it's a real edition of Covered in Glory, Brent. We are finally full, uh, finally done with the winter breaks. We're finally done with all the cup draws. We have a, by goodness, actual Premier League weekend to talk about for the first time in a month, and I am feeling great, pal. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where uh, I think you met, you said this last year around this time where it's like you have to relearn the teams after all the, this this like whole break. You know, we're so used to soccer, 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 soccer. And then all of a sudden we have like FA Cup matches and then there's AFCON going on and all everything else. And it, I had to, I felt like I had to like re-dive into the, 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 the Premier League again this year. Yeah, and it's in a hell of a year for the Premier League. I mean, we actually look like we're going to have a title race at the top. And, like, in very classic fashion, this happens to anybody who ever talks into a mic. As soon as we ended our record session last week, the biggest news that, I don't know, half a decade drops. Like, the second we log off and we can actually check the news, Jurgen Klopp uh, resigns from Liverpool and sets up this, like, okay, I'm going out like Jordan in the last dance and see how it's going to affect the end of the season. So I guess first, were you surprised? Let us be the last people in the world to react to it, but we still have to react. Were you surprised <laughs> by the announcement? And then let's talk about how we think it's going to impact the rest of the year. No, he's been hinting. And a lot, I mean, <clears throat> over the years that the top managers have been talking about the energy drain, that comes on with these jobs. So I, and I, Klopp has kind of been hinting, you know, that, you know, he wasn't going to be around forever, um, that these jobs take a toll on you as a person. So I didn't think it would be the end of this season. I definitely thought it was going to come up maybe in the next couple of years. Um, so it was a little surprising that it was going to be this year, but it wasn't overly shocking. Um, just given the profile that these managers have when they're a manager, of one of these huge mega clubs, that they get burned out. I mean, it's it's a tough job to be in that public setting all the time. And he's a dude too that you know is uh, he's an emotional guy. He connects with his players. He yeah. connects with the fan. He connects with the city. So I'm sure there was a ton of burnout. I wasn't super shocked, just mostly at the timing of it all. Yeah, I mean, I think it's mostly a good thing, like 98% a good thing that mental health is in the forefront of everybody's minds in the sports world nowadays. Like, it's obviously an important thing. If these people are humans as well, and to allow them to be humans and not just these gladiators, I think, is important. But, like, I guess it means we're never going to see an Arsene Wenger again. We're never going to see another Sir Alex Ferguson because, like, everybody gets burned out at these clubs. But somehow those guys were lasted 20-plus years. And even with all the success that uh, Klopp has, even with all the job security, like, we're barely going to get five, six, seven out of these guys before they need to take a break. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the difference, obviously, for those clubs is – you know, they weren't, I mean, Sir Alex, Sir Alex Ferguson wasn't operating in the digital age, right? He yeah. didn't, NBC didn't have a huge TV contract broadcasting other games in America. You know, he would deal with the English media. He would deal with the, you know, the English fans. Um, but, you know, Klopp is a world, I mean, you know, I'm a guy in the middle of Arizona. You're out in Virginia. We're talking about Jurgen Klopp, a German manager from Liverpool, right? So it's a, it's a different era for sure. And I also think too, you know, part of it is 
you know, guys like Wenger and Sir Alex Ferguson, you know, they they ran everything. And I think we won't see guys like that just because of the way that the front offices are being restructured around uh, the globe. It also feels like there's uh, like, well, I don't know, five, 10 X more player movement and player empowerment. There was during those days. Like those guys can get a Ryan Giggs and be set at the position for 10 to 15 years. But now in the modern age, like you'd have to face transfer rumors about Ryan Giggs every single off season. And you wouldn't be able to just kind of build from the back. Like those guys could. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, it's, it's just, a, it's just a totally different ball game. And now all the money that's coming into it, um, it is, I mean, it, I couldn't imagine if you dropped Sir Alex Ferguson or Wenger, even if they were when they were in their managerial primes into this new age of soccer, how they'd handle it, especially with like, you know, one of the things that you brought up with the player movement is, you know, I mean, look at the power that agents have. I mean, Jorge yeah. Mendez, basically, whenever Wolves sign a player, you're going to assume it's a 17 year old Portuguese player, <laughs> you know? Yeah, like, know. <laughs> so it's I think just those dynamics, I mean, just have to be the exhaustion level just has to ramp up tenfold. Yeah, I mean, I'm exhausted following it, let alone like trying yeah. to be the best manager in the entire world. What do you think's next for him? I mean, like, is it, he's he's going to take a year off? He says he'll never coach another English side, so that takes out half yeah. of the best jobs in the world. Like, is he going to actually try to be Bayern's manager, like stab the Dortmund guys, or because of his emotions, will he not do that? Is he going to be on the national team side? Like, is he bound for Barcelona? What do you think's next for him? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I could really see this, you know, potentially being it for him. I, I don't, I mean, maybe like a national team job would be something that I could see probably if I like, if there was a betting line for it, um, maybe he takes a national team job where there's far less commitment to it. But it's like, once you manage Liverpool, one of the best clubs in the world, you win, you know, the best domestic league in the world, you win the Champions League, like, what I mean, if you unless you just really have the urge, if it's just coursing through your blood to do the coaching managing thing, I don't know where he would want to go. That he, I think he'd want to deal with you know the the stuff that goes around with it. I mean, what what job could you picture Jurgen Klopp being as happy at as he's been at Liverpool, right? So, I think for me, it's going to be a national team job or bust. Well, the guy's too good at it. He's too successful. And, like, what else is he going to do? Is he really going to retire in his mid-50s and, like, take up whittling? Like, what what's Jurgen Klopp going to do? And, by the way, if he did, it would be the most high-intensity whittler there's ever been. Like, that guy would just be – wood would be flying everywhere and whistles would be appearing out of nowhere. It would be pretty fun to watch. But I don't know. I mean, I think he'll take another job. If he won't take an English job, then I do think it has to be, like, the Bayerns. Maybe maybe Ancelotti's job when – when, uh, Don Carlo's done down in Madrid. Like he'd be a pretty good fit down there. I don't know if he actually is a good fit with the national team because he likes to drill his guys too much on that high energy press and he's not going to get them often enough on the national team scene. So I don't know what's next for him. I actually, I hope that his emotions like carry over back to Dortmund though. I hope he is not Bayern's manager, even though that seems to be the dream for most German born managers. And I also think that he's going to be like Baba Yega for everybody at Liverpool who follows him because if he does take a year or two off and that team doesn't have success, Whoever coaches them next is going to have to be looking over their shoulder for his comeback. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that would be that would be something I wouldn't rule out either. If if there is a flame out and Liverpool drops, I'm sure there will be plenty of phone calls back to Klopp being like, "Please come back for round two. Please come back." Yeah. Well, I mean, I just as far as that goes, like, just let's just take a minute to speculate. 
Uh, next manager, it seems like uh, Alonzo from Leverkusen is is brought up a lot. The Zerbies brought up a lot. I think uh, I saw somebody bring up Thomas Frank over at Brentford. That was a little bit surprising. Do you have a lean on what you think they should do next or what they will do next? Uh, I think what they will do next is it seems like the stars are aligned for Javi Alonso to come from after the season with Leverkusen. Um, I mean, he's potentially going to win the Bundesliga title, which would be an amazing accomplishment, you know, given Byron's uh, Byron's stranglehold well, on. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. The last guy to do that was a guy named Jurgen Klopp, Jürgen like a Klopp. non a manager that wasn't uh, the Byron manager to win the Bundesliga and then yeah. left to go to Liverpool. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, the, there is that that little um, nice kind of link there. But I, I would think that he, just given his history at the club, given his success at Leverkusen, um, there's consulting agencies that do coaching, uh, like managerial value added. He he does well on those lists. The only thing that doesn't really match up is Leverkusen play a very unique style. Um, it's very much in the Pep Arteta mold of slow-mo ball, where they just it's slow possession. It's maintaining the ball. They don't, they also don't press a lot, which is doubly weird in Germany. Um, and so it would be a pretty big departure from the way that Liverpool has operated under Klopp. I mean, Liverpool is one of the, the best, most aggressive pressing teams. They have some of the most, the, uh, the most transitions, direct attacks in the league, despite being a top club. So, I mean, this is, it isn't, you know, old school Klopp heavy metal football, but it's darn close. And the transition from that to what Alonzo's doing at, with Leverkusen is going to be pretty stark. Um, yeah. So I think he's going to be the guy. It just seems like too many things line up, you know, especially in today's age where you probably need a manager that's got a little bit of pull. I mean, it's hard not to look at the saga going on with Vinicius Jr. And the fact that he might leave if Mbappe goes to Madrid. And it's like, if you hire Thomas Frank at Liverpool, is Vinicius Jr. going to consider going to Liverpool? You know, yeah. but if Alonso's there, he probably definitely is. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, the, that recruitment piece has is, is got to play a factor into it. Um, I think if you're looking for it, <clears throat> you know, stylistically, it it is actually surprisingly going to be Thomas Frank. There's a lot of things that fit well with this one. You cannot overstate how little he's working with at Brentford. Um, the, their payroll is the uh, I think the fourth lowest. I think only the three uh, recently promoted teams have a lower payroll than them. So they just aren't using a lot of resources, and they finished mid table. I mean, this year they're they're edging closer to the relegation battle. Um, but he plays an aggressive pressing style. They play direct, so there's a stylistic match. Um, he's shown adaptability because when Brentford came up from the championship. Uh, they actually, I, I was just looking at this the other day, their last year in the championship, they actually had the second most touches in the penalty area in the championship and the fourth most completed passes per match. Um, so the, he played a completely different style. So I think the argument that like, oh, you know, he, this is going to be a classic, you hire a manager and then he can't play with the way the bigger clubs need to play. He's shown adaptability. And then the other part of the Thomas Frank equation is that he has worked within a structure that Liverpool has built, which is your analytic staff and the, and the front office staff is working in tandem with a coach and kind of using him as a conduit to get players and ideas onto the pitch. And he's worked in that structure at Brentford and Liverpool employs that. And they're one of the only big clubs in the world that has done a really good job of integrating those things. And so I think there's a lot of value in that there. 
I think they should bring back Gerard, but that's just me. That, that's the dream high as far as <laughs> yes. I'm concerned. Bring him back. Bring back Stevie G. Bring him home. He's, uh, uh, but- he's getting his Saudi master class right now, so that's perfect. So Klopp is not done quite yet. We still have half a season to play. And as we saw with Chelsea yesterday, they came out absolutely flying. Does Klopp's announcement change the way you're handicapping the uh, champions, the championship race? And to actually have you actually handicap it, look up the odds. Uh, Arsenal plus 800, Liverpool plus 200, City minus 143. Do you think that there's going to be like some sort of glorious a uh, happy ending for Klopp in in Liverpool, and that plus two hundred has value. Or do you still think that it doesn't matter whatsoever? Uh, they're going to fall behind, and they don't have the horses to win this race. Yeah, I mean, I I think for me, it's a romantic idea that this i this you know iconic manager that revived the storied club. You know, you want to send him out winning as many trophies as you can. Um, but the reality of it is, a lot of it is out of control of Klopp and the Liverpool team. It's like, does Erling Haaland stay healthy? Does Kevin De Bruyne stay healthy? What Arsenal players stay healthy? Um, You know, what competitions do those clubs go deep in then maybe drain on their resources a little bit? You know, is the Kai Havertz revival real? Like none of those things have to do with Jurgen Klopp. Um, So I I think, you know, it's it's always romantic to do the win one for the Gipper and be like, yeah, you know, they're going to be so motivated to send them off with a trophy. I think to a degree, something like Europa League, where maybe if Klopp was going to stay on for multiple years, everything would be about getting this title. But it could just be like, well, I want to win something. So maybe his team selections a little bit more aggressive with the Europa League matches, even though he should be tilting towards winning the Premier League title. Um, so things like that, like maybe I think they're like plus 225 to win Europa. So maybe something like that I could see being a little bit undervalued just because you could play the, well, he's going to want to win something for sure card. Yeah. And then the team selection gets a little bit more aggressive than it should be. But I think as far as the Premier League goes, it's so, so many things, so many factors as to whether Liverpool wins or not are going to be out of his hands. Yeah, and the Europa League will actually be his last match if he made the championship because that'll yeah. conclude after the Premier League. So that would be the super Hollywood ending. Uh, I think before yesterday, like that plus 200 wouldn't have looked value, but I think I discovered in watching the match yesterday that England is just like really desperate to keep him. And so they actually, I don't know if you knew this, they let him start his next job. Already, he's doing it concurrently. He's the Liverpool coach, and he's the head of VAR. So as long as he's in charge of all VAR reviews, and they have to like go through him on the sideline, I think they'd have a hell of a chance to win this league. And I congratulate <laughs> him on his new role. Yeah, well, I mean, you know what? Somebody's got to clean it up, Toby. So I think might, might as well throw Jurgen Klopp in there because as of right now, it's a pretty big mess. They hired the best. Get that earpiece in his ear. I'm sure he'll be super, super neutral in his decisions. Absolutely. He will be unbiased every Liverpool match. Well, I think uh, I think now's the time to bet it if you want to bet Liverpool um, because, you know, we City does have some unknowns. They could have some aggravated injuries. They do have a five-point lead even if City has a game in hand. And we're about to talk about, like, it's not a title decider, but, like, we're about to talk about a match that's going to go a long way to deciding this race. Uh, over the weekend, and we will get to that right after this. 
You know, when the conversation turns tampers, I always go with my number one as Caesars. Let's talk about them a little bit, shall we? Tickets to the game, merch, meals at iconic restaurants, stays at Caesars Palace. All this can be yours when you bet with Caesars Sportsbook. Win or lose, every bet earns rewards credits, which you can redeem across the empire. Now, if you haven't started yet, register using this code. Listen up. Omaha full. The word Omaha and the word full. And then you place your first bet up to $1,250. If you win, great. If you keep those winnings, but if you lose, you'll get your stake back as a bonus bet. 21 and over only. Offer valid and must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Massachusetts, Maryland, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. New users and first $10 plus wager only. Must register with eligible promo code. Bet amount of qualifying wager. Returned only if wager is settled as a loss. Maximum bonus bet, $1,250. Bonus bet expires 14 days after receipt. Tier credits and reward credits will be added to account within seven days after qualifying wager settles. See caesars.com slash promos for full terms. Void where prohibited. Know when to stop before you start gambling problem. Arizona call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, Wyoming, Kansas, affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino. Call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed through Horseshoe, Bossier City, and Harris, New Orleans. Massachusetts, call 1-800-327-5050 or visit GamblingHelplineMA.org. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania, affiliated with Harris, Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER or West Virginia, 1-800-GAMBLER.net. New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. All right, Brett, how about that professional tease that leads us right into a hell of a match? This is why I was so excited at the top of the show. This is why I'm so excited we have a full slate because we have a proper headliner this week, and it is Arsenal third at 46 points at home versus Liverpool first at 51 points. This game is Sunday at 11.30 a.m. 
Arsenal is plus 130 at Caesars. Liverpool is plus 200. The draw is plus 240. Arsenal minus half a goal is plus 125. And the double chance for Liverpool is minus 160. So I, I was joking about VAR at the beginning. Like, even if they did have a couple of call, uh, calls that went their way, they were worlds, leagues, universes better than Chelsea yesterday. They looked absolutely incredible. Were you surprised at how good they looked without Trent Alexander-Arnold and Salah yesterday? Because they just blew Chelsea all the way off the pitch. Uh, I mean, <laughs> if they have found another homegrown all-world fullback in Connor Bradley. Yeah. He's going to save the uh, Nor- uh, Northern Ireland soccer as well. Um, that is amazing. That was honestly the thing I couldn't stop thinking about was like Trent, they found Trent, this generationally talented fullback in their academy. Do they have another one just sitting right there? Um, so that was, I, I mean, I, that was shocking. Um, I was wrong. One of my my quote-unquote heater bets was going to take their unders with Mo and Trent. I think maybe one of them hits in, the, hit in their last four games. Um, I mean, Darwin Nunez is a legitimate superstar to the point where I think now Klopp is just like, I know he has warts and I know he's going to hit the woodwork four times or whatever it was he did last match, but I think they're finally sticking with him as well. Um, so I have been, I've been shocked at how well they've done without Trent and Mo. Um, I was shocked at the Chelsea result. I was shocked at Connor Bradley coming out of nowhere to just look like an all world fullback at 20 years old. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I, <laughs> I don't I I don't like getting swayed by one match but before the Chelsea match I would have been all about the coward's way out thinking draw looking draw unable to distinguish between these two very evenly matched teams but I think that match pushed me towards Liverpool instead of Arsenal. Yeah, I I'm right there with you Brett and it is because of recency bias. Like it is a beauty of Having some time off, you usually get to reset, but then you watch that one match and you just can't believe what you're seeing. Darwin Nunez got off nine shots yesterday. Nine freaking shots. So he hit the woodwork four times. He had nine attempts overall, which, by the way, I'll just get to my prop now. Shot, 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 shot. You could actually bet on this. Nunez, to have two shots, just a mere two shots in the first half, is plus 160, Brett. Can you believe that number after what we saw yesterday, after that assault? And I don't, it's, the other reason I'm taking Liverpool is like, I don't know why it's going to be different versus Arsenal than it was against Chelsea. Like, you would have to think that Declan Rice is a hundred times the player of an Enzo Fernandez or a Casado, and he might be in Casado's case, to think that it's going to be a lot different because they were flying around the field. Chelsea has just spent what, $300 million trying to build up this press-resistant squad, and it didn't matter. Liverpool just turned them over, over and over again, and their outlet was immediately in Nunez, who was just ripping, like one touch and rip. It did not matter where it was coming from. And so I think he'll continue to do that. I don't think he'll continue to be as unlucky as he was yesterday. I think he will convert, but I am positive he will shoot, so I'm willing to bet on that. And with that conversion, I just like Liverpool's odds in this game. Arsenal uh, did not look anywhere near as dominant. It gets a clearly worse four team than Liverpool looked against Chelsea. They only won that match because Matty Turner, unfortunately for the Stars and Stripes, had a pretty embarrassing near post uh, nutmeg against Jesus at a super tight angle. And I just don't see it. Martinelli still looks far too anonymous down the left. And Liverpool looks a class above. And so, like, the fact that they just did that without TAA, without Salah, like, lifts some of the 
mental burden I had in taking a less than full strength team against Arsenal, but I don't see how the Arsenal midfield, even with Declan Rice, even with Odegaard, can withstand the onslaught of energy that we saw come after the Klopp announcement yesterday. Yeah, I mean, taking Darwin uh, Nunez shot bets is always a good one. I think he leads the big five in shots, and it's not like – I mean, there have been guys that have led leagues in shots. I think Andre Schurler back at Fulham like averaged like five shots a match one year. But that was like a dude that was like gutting from outside the, the penalty area constantly. And so Darwin's combination of shot volume and shot efficiency is just insane. Um and so I'm I'm all on board your shot bet. I you know I'm I'm a little I'm trying to find ways not to let recency bias take me too far away from Liverpool uh, from Arsenal here. But I do agree it was hard to watch that match and be like Trent had, Trent didn't even start he had to come on. Mo is now hinting that he's going to be back to uh, for this this match upcoming this upcoming weekend so you add in what you saw against Chelsea and then you add in their two best players <laughs> so yeah. it's like what you know the, I mean it's hard to it's hard to not just go all in on Liverpool here so I did I did lean towards that Liverpool money line um but the one bet that I found I did I did my I did a Toby here and I did some digging I was looking for everything I was like something in here has to be mis uh undervalued and the one that I found that just jumped out at me after I went through literally almost every bet was Liverpool to win either half is only minus 110, Toby. Love it. Love it. I, I, I could, I, I, yeah, dude. I, I Dude, I saw that bet and I wanted to text you right away. And I'm like, hey, can you look and make sure I'm reading yeah. this right? I, love I this could bet. not believe that. 45, you're telling me that Liverpool isn't going to play better than Arsenal for 45 minutes of this match? regardless of where it is, like I, I <laughs> minus 110, I, I had to jump all over it. Do you think Arsenal should be favored in this match? Like, do they have a home field advantage or because uh, uh, they, they are healthy. That is one of the things Arsenal suddenly has going for them. And their health isn't just improving their first 11. It has dramatically improved their bench and their options for that second half. So do you think they're a deserved favorite here? Like why is Liverpool laying the plus 200 against a team that, on current form, they're clearly outperforming. Yeah, I mean, it's at the Emirates. I think that's a big part of it. I mean, and their underlying numbers are like virtually identical. I think Liverpool's expected goal difference per 90 is like 1.09. Arsenal's is 1.07. And I mean, look, we've talked about this on previous shows. Arsenal is one of the five best defensive clubs in the world, like full stop, no caveats, anything there. So I think when you look at it, even if you looked at it through that ends, one of the five best defensive clubs in the world playing at home, how many teams are they not going to be favored against? You know what I mean? Um, so I agree with you that I think you could probably make a very good argument um, that Liverpool should be favored. Uh, especially given some of the things that have worked against Liverpool over the course of the season. They have dealt with more injuries. They have dealt with playing a man down far more. Um, all those things to me would say that this game should be pretty much a toss up. And so uh, it is, it is definitely a little odd that Arsenal's favored, but I'm not completely surprised by it. 
Yeah. Well, look, I did not handicap uh, Salah making an appearance in this game. I actually think he should sit out. Like, Jota is a man on fire right now. Nunez, as you've already discussed, is like this agent of chaos that is just causing huge heartburns for all defenses around the league. And Diaz was awesome against Chelsea. So, like, there any sort of improvement that one of the best players in the world, Mo Salah, is going to give isn't as sharp as it would be with those three guys on their current form. Yeah, I mean... I think there's an argument to be made just because of the fact that this one match is going to be looked at as this big six pointer in the champions or in the in the run to the champ to trying to win a championship here with the Premier League. But so many more of the matches coming up are going to matter more. Um, just having Salah healthy, having him feel good, having him feel fresh, like those are going to be that would be important. I would think that as a player, I'm sure he is itching to play in this match. When you are an athlete. It has been a long time since I've been one, and I was not a very good one. But when you're an athlete, you remember the big high school basketball games, you would play with a sprained ankle, you'd play with a sprained wrist, whatever it was. You would just want to be out there. It's the big game. It's why you play. And so I think that that part of this whole thing where he there be, he's being considered and, and might be fit for the match is mostly him not being ready, but knowing it's a massive match. Um, and I think that Liverpool would be pretty smart to say, hey, we're doing okay. It, like maybe you can come on the bench and come on for 15 minutes, but you're definitely not starting going to full 90. Do you think this is Arsenal's last stand for a trophy this year? Like if they are they if they lose this match and they're eight points back with 15 match days left, and they have City between them as well, are they cooked? Like is is this it for them? I, I would think so. I mean, I don't know where you'd stand on it, but I I, I can't imagine a world. I mean, it's not ever you know. It's, it sounds crazy to be like they can't make up eight points over the rest of the year. But when you look at the win rate of these teams, how many points per yeah. match these teams at this level are generating, eight points is massive. It's a huge gap. Um, so, I mean, yeah, you can get on lucky runs and Liverpool could drop a couple and, you know, all of a sudden they're right there again. And you're like, oh, that wasn't that big of a deal. But when you look at the math, like these teams are winning over two points a match. That's a huge thing to come back from. I, I this mean, is. This is where the Klopp announcement does matter to me. Like, I don't think that Liverpool is going to give up an eight-point lead to Arsenal in Klopp's last season. Like, I, I don't think there will be a single letdown game, like, you know, just a schedule loss or however you want to uh, describe it. And City is City. So I don't think they can catch two world-class teams. Maybe they would have one if there was some mm -hmm. complacency, but I do not expect complacency on either of these squads, given how hard Liverpool and City are likely to push each other and how much I would bet Pep wants to ruin Klopp's retirement. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm sure that he'd like to get the last one. And when they go with all the head-to-head the -head that they've had, um, I, I can't imagine that Pep is going to want to be like, yeah, I'm going to just lay out the red carpet and let you win this yeah. in your last year. Um, I mean, he's certainly, these guys are competitive. He wants to win as much as any, as much as the players do even. Um, but I mean, uh, everything that you've brought up is just getting me absolutely stoked for this match. I mean, I'm, I don't know if it's going to be like a super like high scoring, like an entertaining match, but it is going to be intense from the first yeah. whistle to the last whistle. And I'm at, look, as a fan, I'm actually rooting for Arsenal here. Like, I'd love a three horse race. I'd love for this to be as competitive as long as possible with as many teams as possible as involved. So, like, if I get my if I get my bets wrong here, if I get my picks wrong, I'm not going to get that Nunez thing wrong. Nunez is going to be firing from the jump. But if I get the Liverpool pick wrong, like, I'll be secretly excited because it would be great to watch these three squads push each other all the way down into May.
Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, it's kind of like a, it's it, it's kind of a, a good scenario to me either way. If Arsenal win, it takes a little bit of luster off the magical Klopp winning ending because Liverpool is going to be up against it now. Um, but you would get a three-team race for the title. And if they lose, sad for Arsenal, but then you get the two best managers that we've probably seen the last 10 years going toe-to-toe with everybody else kind of cleared out of the way. So Yeah, and I think Poole's going to need that lead. Like, I think Poole yeah. needs these three points with the City uh, having their health return. And so, like, I think this is a critical result for them, not just to uh, semi-eliminate Arsenal, but, like, they need to have that. With, with City having that match in hand, they need to control their own destiny as long as they possibly can. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're, uh, you're right on. I mean, that this is uh, the Kevin De Bruyne return, the best January transfer signing in the history yeah. of the Premier League. Well, we're going to get to that when we cover City. <laughs> I mean, that's going to be, that's going to be a huge game changer and Liverpool needs to bank every single point they can from here on out. Yep. All right. Well, let's keep it moving to a less high profile match, but still worth talking about Everton 18th at 18 points versus Tottenham fourth at 43 points. This game is Saturday at 730 a.m. Tottenham is plus 135. Caesar says Everton at plus 180 and the draw at plus 260. Tottenham minus half a goal is plus 130. Everton is minus 170. All right. I think we're aligned on this. How much better does Tottenham look the moment Madison came back? It is insane how critical he is to this particular team. And with Vanderman coming back as well, I've got a hot take for you. Son is the third or fourth most important player on the team. Those two guys, I think, are actually more important given Anja's style than Son is. And in his absence, it's felt less than Madison's was when he was out injured. Well, Toby... Uh, you always call me the spreadsheet nerd, and I actually have some numbers to back up that claim of James Madison's importance. Uh, we've talked about this a little bit, uh, even at the NBA level, where you have hundreds of more, hundreds if not thousands of more minutes to compare this. Um, the the plus minus stuff is a little noisy there. It's definitely really noisy in the in the soccer world, um, but. With that said, I do think there's a little bit of utility in certain cases. And in the case of James Madison, there are two players that the Spurs are massively better when they're on the pitch. One would surprise you. It is Christian Romero. The other one is James Madison. Spurs are plus 0.59 XG per 90 whenever in the 968 Premier League minutes that Madison plays. Given that they are basically like a league average team right now, currently without them, that is a huge boost. That is a Champions League team versus a team that finishes ninth. So the, so your uh, your subjective look on what Madison does for this team is sort of is definitely backed up by these numbers here. And he just brings an element of shot creation. He had nine shot creating actions in his first match back nine. Yeah. Um, we need that. Edward. That seems low to me watching the match. Like yeah. he was involved in every critical action. It felt like, yeah, we need the Ed Rooney from Ferris Bueller thing. If I was a better producer, we could splice that in nine <laughs> times. Uh, so, so I think his ability to generate shots for himself, his combination with your boy Kulishevsky in terms of creating shots for others, just completely raises the level of this team. And we all we all know, we've talked about this with Ange, his downfall is he does not care about defending. He is all out attack. And so when you take that away, when you take that firepower away, it's like a double blow to Spurs. 
Um, so this is a brand new team with James Madison back in the fold. And then, you know, they're going against Everton, who I jinxed. So this is great. Ever since I had my whole thing about watch out for Everton, look at this futures bet if they get their points back. Uh, Everton did probably lose to a Spurs team without Madison. They got smashed by City. They lost to Wolves. Uh, they drew to Aston Villa. And then they played Fulham, mighty Fulham, to an even draw ever since then. And, and that's around a loss to Luton Town in the FA Cup. So this has not been a good spell for Everton, which means... I can't fade Spurs, Toby. I'm sorry. I can't do it. I know this is a thing, but I would take him plus 135 on the money line. So I wanted you to finish making your point, but just going back to your spreadsheets for a second, this is why you can't just have the spreadsheets on the wall. You got to go outside. You got to get some air. <laughs> you got to think about things. Uh, I think there's a serious like flaw in the numbers you gave out, which is Romero was the guy sent off against Chelsea. And so he was not on the pitch when they conceded those four goals, which is obviously going to have a massive effect on the plus minus number that he actually caused by getting sent off. So yeah. like try to remember there's a little bit of subjectivity within those numbers. Oh, I mean, uh, that, that, that is exactly the noise that I was pointing out in my caveat before announcing that is things like that. The, the There's no balance between some of the teams that they're playing when guys miss. Those are all things that factor into those numbers being very noisy. Yeah, particularly when he's the one drawing the red card. Um, <laughs> you said you mentioned my boy. Like, by the way, I'm also I, I'm going to shock you here. I'm taking the Spurs as well. There's Ooh. no fading the Spurs after uh, watching that match. I still think that they're they're facing a serious drop off. I think if Madison goes out again, like they can finish outside the top six, let alone the top four. Um, I guess the one thing that I did have a little bit of concern of because I can't be all sunshine and rainbows with the Spurs, even when I, I'm backing them, is Kulisevsky in that match. He looked strange to me. Like he was clumsy on that breakaway and he looked off the pace throughout the match. Like, is there anything I should be worried about with my guy there? Is there any sort of pattern or is he just having a bad day? Well, he's, he's an interesting fit for this team um, because Anja's style kind of creates a lot of one-on-ones. And so uh, you would expect that Spurs would then want like dribbly wingers, guys that can like a Doku style player, basically. And Kulishevsky is not that. He's just a not he's a, he's very good at like moving the space, playing clever balls into space. He's definitely not a guy that's like ever gonna look good, like just going one on one 17 times a match against a fullback, isolated fullback. Like that's not yeah. who he is. And so I don't I don't think you need to worry about it because I think that's sort of par for the course with him sometimes is he's going to look awkward on the ball because he isn't a traditional winger like that. He isn't the old school, you know, I'm going to stay out wide. I'm going to come in, run at this fullback, get in the ball, you know, get in the box, whip across or take a shot. Um, it's probably why I love him so much. It's probably like, cause Chelsea's struggled to break down low blocks forever. And Kulishevsky's is exactly the type of guy that you haven't had for a long time. who could pick a lock and open up those defense, but you're right in this, like, ball like open space he does look awkward from time to time so i i don't know if we're gonna get the very best out of him but having diverse options having madison uh being so strong on the ball and having him make those, those runs off of it or if they finally do play a team that that plays a little bit more compact then you can use him i will tell you who has looked great for them and uh it, it's uh, conflicting for me given my feeling about spurs is timo baby timo caused so many problems down the left flank in that match he was a he was such a handful that is looking like like a great loan. Although I will say, I 
also it really like truly warmed my heart to watch him miss the goal entirely on point blank headers because it was a reminder of the better days at Chelsea. So thank you, Timo, for putting me in a time machine to happier times. I'm also happy to have Spurs overs in my life, Brett. Like, what am I doing? Why am I betting anything else besides over two and a half at minus 150? The Spurs have gone over this number in 12 of their last 13 games. And we just saw this uh, game against Everton a few weeks ago. Spurs won 2-1. And if they're going to have back passes directly to on-form strikers for one-on-one with the keepers, then give me over nine and a half. But I'll just take the two and a half for now as I don't know how consistent Udoji is going to do that or anybody else. But I do feel good about the 2-1, 3-1 type games for here until the end of time as long as Anz is the manager. <laughs> well, mine is in the same vein. Um, I I took the Spurs money line, obviously, with my regular bet. Um, but I'm actually going with both teams to score. Uh, no draw at plus 120 for my prop bet. Uh, just because... That kind of it's kind of a hedge. It buys you a little bit if Everton end up winning, because if Everton end up winning, it's definitely not going to be uh, a scoreless draw or I mean, sorry, like a one nil type of game. They'll definitely win with goals. So you'll you lose out on probably two, two and three, three. But I think the rest of your range is pretty good with this one. And I mean, you're getting a plus number for it. You're, You're and you're betting on goals. What could be better, Toby? All right. Well, I can tell you what could be better, and that's not being in the relegation fight, but I'm a good friend, so I'm not going to bring up how Everton is now suddenly behind the juggernaut that is, is Luton Town. I'm sure we can get to that in future weeks. Ross, the, the ghost of Ross Barkley coming back to bite him. Never should have let him go. Oh, uh, Ross the boss. Love him. I love Chelsea a little bit less, though. They are playing Sunday at 9 a.m. versus Wolves. Chelsea is 10th at 31 points. Wolves are, what are they nowadays? They're 11. They're right behind Chelsea at 29 points. Caesars has Chelsea at minus 165. Wolves plus 425. The draw plus 300. Chelsea minus half a goal is minus 180. The Wolves are plus 135. Obviously, I'm devastated by watching them get destroyed by Liverpool yesterday, which was particularly hard for me, Brett, given how good I felt after their uh, League Cup fight back right before that and they're winning a few games and looking to position themselves for a nice run. The teams in front of them United, Brighton, Newcastle, West Ham were all falling down the table. Aston Villa is struggling as well. It looked like it was setting up for them, but that was all dashed in a mere 90 minutes yesterday. So I guess my question is, how bad or good should I feel from a more neutral party? And do you think this yo-yo experience is how all teams feel, or is my team particularly prone to it? Uh, I think, I mean, I, mean I, I can't remember too many other teams that have had the run that your Chelsea team has had, especially this extended run where like for a long time, uh, their underlying numbers weren't matching their performances. And then they started playing better. And then they just started playing bad. Like this, you, this, they've had you all over the place. Like you can't, you can't put your finger on this team for more than maybe like two or three games. And I mean, part of it is the, the, the churn of new players that have come in the last couple of windows. Part of it is the unfortunate demise kind of of Reese James uh, with the injuries, which has just been an absolute killer for the path of that club. Um, but they are certainly a volatile team. And it's actually, this is, uh, you're usually the king of the segue. Uh, that segue is beautifully into my bet. I'm going to give myself a little pat on the back. Just and by because, the way, the king doesn't announce he's doing a segue while he's doing a segue. So that's a little coaching for you. Uh, that's good. Well, this is why you're the king and I'm just, you know, <laughs> aspiring to the throne. Um, but no, I, that volatility, I had so much trouble. I don't know if you did and you watch Chelsea all the time. I had so much trouble trying to handicap this game. I mean, I probably spent 
a good 30 minutes just going back and forth on certain lines here. Um, and I just ended up on Wolves money line because Chelsea could do anything. So why not yeah. take a, a well over four to one for Wolves to win? Yep. That's the right analysis. Uh, according to the odds, Wolves are definitely the better bet because Chelsea can win or lose any match. So you should definitely take the four to one. I'm taking the minus 165 because I'm still delusional. I'm also on tilt, as you'll see in my, my five pint. Like I'm running so cold right now. But I just see this setting up as Chelsea winning, uh, maybe taking seven points, maybe even all nine for the next three matches, me getting super cocky, me thinking that we have a shot at the uh, Premier League, and then City drilling us 12 to zero. Uh, here in about what three weeks in mid February. So, if they want to make a run, if they want to, you know, gain some money, if they want to not rely on four million dollar loan fees for Broha, which looks like it's about to happen here on deadline day, and actually like get into a, a real competition, I don't think they're going to win the League Cup after uh, after what we saw against Liverpool yesterday. They've got to get into European places, and they have to do it right now in the next three matches. They got to do it this week. They got to do it against Villa, and they have to do it before. The, before they play City again. So I'm going to take the uh, the last shred of hope that I have that Gusto will be able to play a full 90, that Desai will be put out the pasture as a right back. We'll never have to see that again. That Chilwell will get his legs. And most importantly, that our new Lord and Savior and Cuckoo, who I have as an anytime goal scorer at plus 150, the lone bright spot we had at Liverpool with an excellently taken goal, will step in, will get on the end of some of those Palmer passes, and we'll finally have a guy who can convert in tight spaces and lead us to a couple of victories on the trot. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately I, I sort of have to root against that because my prop bet is going back to the well that really put me into overdrive in my January here, which is the Cole Palmer, not the anytime, but the first goal score. Uh, it's yeah. actually lowered. I had it at plus five fifty the first time I took it. Uh, it's plus four fifty Now the reason I like this bet is Chelsea, unfortunately for you, Toby, has trouble converting chances into goals. Wolves are not a good attacking team. So the reason that I would like to take a first-time goal scorer bet with the juiced odds is I just don't think there's going to be many goals. So you don't have to get that lucky with the plotting here, right? If yeah. I thought this was going to be a 3-2 match, I would be way more nervous and way more hesitant to take a first-time goal scorer bet. But there might only be one, two, maybe three goals in this match. And so Palmer just has to score the first one. And he's got penalty equity. So I yeah. love that at plus 450 in this one in particular. Yeah. I mean, you might want to check with Klopp first to see if he has any penalty equity to see if they'll <laughs> actually get any calls. I would I would blow in a call to the guy who heads up Liverpool and now VAR before you do that. But you can go ahead. You spend your money the way you want. I'll tell you who spent a lot of money and gotten a return for it, though, and that is Manchester City because they look like they are all the way back and they are going to turn their cannons on Brentford, 15th at 22 points. City is second at 46 points. This game is Monday at 3 p.m. City is minus 260. Brentford is plus 650. The draw is plus 380. We finally have an adjusted total here, Brett. Man City over at Caesars at minus a goal and a half is plus 105. Brentford is minus 135 to keep it within one. Uh, let's start with Brentford, actually, for a second, because I'm sure both of us are want to talk City. They look like a totally different team having Ivan Tony back. And welcome back, Ivan Tony. It is awesome to have another talented striker playing their trade in the Premier League each and every weekend and get to watch them. Uh, so I like what I saw from Brentford on the offensive side. 
I did not like what I saw on the defensive side. Like Timo, as we already said earlier, just destroyed them down the left. And if Timo's going to do that, what on earth are they going to do against Doku in this match? So I think at the end of the day, I'm I'm going to take City, and it's just a matter of by how much. The Death Star is fully operational again. Having KDB stand over a free kick is like watching Picasso be able to pick up a paintbrush. And I also loved when Pep rushed into the stands to congratulate his, his assistant, who I assume is the set-piece coach. Like, they've got good vibes. They've got health. They have all the talent in the world. If they can ever figure out what position uh, uh, Josco is actually playing, like he's playing this weird free three role right now where he can pop up anywhere on the pitch. If they can nail that down at left back and get him a little bit more disciplined and and not, you know, whatever crazy role he's playing right now, I think they're unstoppable. So I'm going to take them on the adjusted against Brentford in this match. Yeah, I mean, I hate to say it, but Brentford is, I don't, I mean, I don't think they're going to drop all the way to the relegation race. Um, I think they're too well run, too well managed to do that. But they are just devoid of talent. I mean, other than, I mean, you talked about, you mentioned Tony with Embermo out, like uh, their second best player is probably Christian Norgard, <laughs> which is not a great place to be. Um, so I, I think there's just a huge, I mean, getting Wissa back will be, will be big for them um, at some point. But I mean, they played, Neil Mall plays almost played a thousand minutes for him. Um, I don't know if you want Neil Malpe playing, playing a thousand minutes for Norwich at this point. Um, and although I say that, and I think he has four goals this year. I was about to say, this is a really weird time to go in on Malpe. I think he scored in four consecutive matches. Like of all the times that like, you, you had your window, you had about a 10 year window to go at this guy. And that was the hottest he's ever been. And you're still taking shots. Yeah, this is this is more uh, Everton. What were you doing when you paid a bunch of money for this guy? Uh, that was your boy Frank, though. Frank, thank you for that Neil Mulpe signing. Um, <laughs> but no, I I mean broken clocks and all that with Mulpe. But I think you know for this Brentford team, I'm a little nervous. But the weird thing is, I went through their matches uh, through the course of the year. They don't really get blown out. Like they, there's been a couple of matches where they've lost by two goals. One of them was a weird one against Wolves. So I, what usually I jump all over a city. I mean, I would jump all over city lines that are minus one and a half plus one ten, given everything that you mentioned when you were talking about him. But the weird thing is, Brentford just finds ways to manufacture goals with their long throws and their set pieces. And the and my boy Ederson, your favorite thing about City, the consolation goal, always lurks with them. Um, so I think the value is still city minus one and a half at plus one ten, but I'm not actually super excited about betting this one this time. Usually that's my comfort bet. That's my little blankie that I curl up with, but uh, this is a weird one for me. I, it won't be in my five point. Um, and the one that will be though, is actually going to be city to win by exactly one goal at plus two twenty five. Um, that is, that is the bet I actually feel most comfortable with because I worry about the consolation goal, especially with the set piece savants that Brentford are. And I just haven't seen the evidence that Brentford, despite their struggles are going to get smashed. Yeah. The consolation goal leads me to my prop bet as well, uh, which is city win, but both score. You could take that to plus plus one eighty. 
So you get to adjust City from minus 260 on the money line to plus 180. And that consolation goal is constantly on the menu. I mean, when you got David Fafana, Chelsea Loney, cooking your uh, $80 million left back, Josco, and then like bundling the ball over the line in the 90 plus minute, like anything's possible at any time given them. I love any bet with a late goal from Brentford. I think Ivan Tony still is trying to prove a point after suspension. So I think we get a Tony like. Three three nil. Tony scores in the 88th minute for this bet to win. Hopefully you lose yours because I do not want to lose to you in the five point yet again. <laughs> well, the one thing I will say too is this is going to be uncharted territory for Brentford, and I think in most matches they probably wouldn't be feeling too much of a pinch if they ended up getting down two zero three nil the city. They're they're in the relegation race. Like it's a thing now for yeah. them. There's a desperation for Brentford that we haven't seen in a couple of years. And I think that that's going to help. That's going to feed right into that consolation goal is they are not going to be sit, you know, sitting back happy down three. Oh, we're not necessarily happy, but you know, sort of just playing out the string in the match. They're down three nil. They are going to be fighting because they have to win because you lose a couple more matches and you're right on the brink of 18th. Yep. All right. Well, as we said, so excited to have a full slate of Premier League games to talk about, but we still are going to go abroad. Let's go ahead and take our second break, and then we will head down to Spain for a huge matchup this weekend. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. All right, Brett. Uh, As I mentioned before, we took our break. We are heading down to Spain for the Madrid Derby. We got... Real Madrid, second in La Liga at 54 points, versus Atletico, third at 47 points. Real is minus 145, Atletico is plus 380, the draw is plus 280. Real minus half a goal is minus 145, Atletico on the double chance is plus 115. And we've seen this game a lot recently uh, from some of the cup matchups, but we haven't seen it in the league for a little while. So let's go ahead and talk about Atletico again. I know we'll get to Real in just a second. Uh, They are getting a renaissance from Antoine Griezmann this year. Morata has been surprisingly productive for them. Memphis Dupai is is banging in goals. Chelsea legend Saul is still doing things in the midfield. So they have an unconventional team in that they are third in La Liga and they're relying largely on guys who are, you know, semi-washed from uh, from other teams, but just come back to Atletico and Simeone is able to grind out these results with them. So how are you feeling about their season and their current form? Unimpressed. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, it is. uh, It's crazy. You know, you have all these guys. I a player like Memphis to me. If he was like kicking around at Real Batiste at 32 and had eight or nine goals a bit, yeah, that's about right where he is. The fact he's on the third place team in La Liga right now is just doesn't seem right. Um, this whole team is on pretty much on the wrong side of the aging curve. I think uh, Coca, Coca is 20 or 32, uh, Saul is 30 or 29 or 30, Murata's 29 or 30, Griezmann's 32, Memphis is 32. Like, this team should not be functioning at this level. They are definitely running a little hot. Um, 
for all the crap that Murata gets, he's actually finishing above expectation this season, um, which has been a huge boost for them. But I mean, I think the only like prime age guy that they're really playing a lot right now is Molina, the right wing back whom people might remember from the World Cup. Um, but just nothing about this team. I mean, look, Simeone teams were always more exciting in the hypothetical for what they were doing when they were beating peak Ronaldo and Messi teams with their style. They are not a fun team to watch, and they seem way less fun to watch probably this year when they're just rotating through a bunch of sort of semi-retired strikers right now. But you got to give them credit. Simeone has found something in this group, amazingly enough, that has them in the Champions League hunt, and their underlying numbers are not that far back from where Madrid's are. It is, it is bizarre. If I looked at this roster and you were like, Guess where this team is finished at, uh, finishing in, or going to finish in La Liga? I would say I don't know, maybe like sixth, seventh. And here, yeah, we are. I, I, I think of like in that same vein. Like if you blindly look at this roster and said where are they going to finish, like you wouldn't guess they're going to finish top three. If you showed me a, uh, if you removed the teams and you showed me a current form list of like the last twenty games, and it's like, oh, these games are two one, three one, five three, four two. I wouldn't be like, oh, that's a Simeone coach team. It's like <laughs> yeah. what. I mean, he's made his bones on like grinding out like low resource guys and playing a defensive style. And suddenly he's playing like the old hogs of football and they're somehow like playing these like four, two track meets. Like none of this makes sense to me. Yeah. I mean, part of it is they just don't have the defensive steel they used to anymore. I, I think a lot of guys, you know, they're playing, I mean, Kogate's 32. He's get, he's played a ton of international minutes for Spain. Like this dude isn't a spring chicken. I remember when he was like, Oh, what big club is he going to move to? I mean, that, that debate seemed like it was just like yesterday. Um, but this dude's getting long in the tooth. You know, they were playing Axel Witzel um, in this, in their th- uh, three man back line for a while. He's 33. Like <laughs> that doesn't seem super inspiring to stopping goals from happening. So I think a lot of it isn't necessarily that he's, like flip Simeone's like flipped a switch and all of a sudden Atletico are like, yeah, we got to be on the front foot. I don't think he's trying to play the same way. He just doesn't have the horses to do it, but he's been, he's been fortunate enough that this combination of Memphis and Murata and Griezmann have kind of made up for that. Well, on the other side, they have the ultimate horse in Jude Bellingham. My God, this guy is magnificent. My only regret is that he's not playing in the Premier League so that uh, he can you know, do it in his home country. I guess he will eventually. And it looks like Vinny Jr. Like, have you bought your Liverpool Vinny Jr. kit yet? Like, is that a fait accompli that Salah is going to the oil money and that we're going to see Vinny Jr. take his place? Like, I, I think that's I think that's kind of coming and Mbappe is going to take his place in Real. Do you see all that happening or do you think I'm just reading too much fanfic? I personally, the last time I felt like we've seen a truly devastating front line was the Messi, Neymar, Suarez combination in Barcelona. I would love to see Vinny move to Liverpool before Mo leaves to see Vinny, Nunez and Mo all in the same front line. I'm an Everton fan. They will beat them seven nothing, and I will sit there and go, "That was awesome." <laughs> <laughs> so I'm rooting for that. I'm rooting that Mo can resist the urge of the Saudis here for one more season, um, and that Madrid are stupid enough to be like, "Yeah, we'll just let Vinny go." I mean, all he does is whine about being racially abused, anyways. Get this guy out of here, um, and let him go to let him go to Liverpool. Because um, and and you know, if I'm Vinny too. 
that the way the club has handled that, which has been a really he's had a really ugly situation with the racial abuse that he receives, and he has not felt supported by Madrid. So I really think there are legs to him wanting to get out of that club. And when yeah. you go, if you want to go down that rabbit hole, there are not many clubs that would appeal to Vinny unless he did like a swap to PSG. He's not going to City. They have Grealish and Doku in that spot. I mean, Chelsea struggles probably take them out of the running. And then who's left? He's not going to United. He's not going to Spurs. He's not going to Newcastle. Liverpool's about the only one that's left. <laughs> so yeah. he I, makes I, a lot of sense there. Yeah. And he fits in perfectly. You know, DS has not been the same since his injury. So that could be a very real thing. And if it does happen, even if it's just him and Darwin, it'll be a pretty exciting thing from the Premier League. And I think Madrid is going to have egg all over their face. Well, on the rest of the pitch, I mean, there's not a lot of holes in it. There's some holes in some knees and, and some uh, some torn yeah. Achilles in Real, Team but they ACL able tears. some ACL tears. But they're able to fill in those spots. They have a bit of a soft spot in goal, but otherwise, they obviously still have world class talent all over the pitch. Um, I'm going to go ahead and back them in this match at the minus 145. I couldn't quite get there with Atletico. We have Real at home. We have them actually trying to chase down a championship. They're in an unfamiliar position of being second to somebody other than Barcelona. Like they'll continue to press forward on that. And the only other one I actually considered here was the draw. So I don't like Atletico in this match. And then at the minus 145 versus the draw at plus 280, you know how I feel about draws. Ended up on the Real side of the ledger. Well, I know how you feel about draws, and your bullying always makes me hesitant to bring these bets up, but I could not move anywhere other than you're almost getting three to one for these two teams that are basically even in their underlying numbers and not giving up a lot of goals lately. Um, Atletico has been Except to each other, dude. Except to each other. Like, that's the reason That's the reason I didn't take the draw. Have you seen the last two matches between these sides? Did you see them? In January, they played twice. There were 14 goals, Brett. There were 14 goals in those two matches. It breaks my brain how something, I mean, it is the Madrid derby, so there's something to that. But it breaks my brain how with Valverde playing like a defensive winger, who's the guy that used to do it for like Park for United way back in in those years, that Madrid has been really solid defensively. Atletico under Simeone is them is how they've been. And obviously they've slowed down a little bit in terms of their ability to prevent goals, but they've been better over the last five matches. And then those matches stick out like they just occurred on another universe. I don't understand. I my brain can't compute that and makes me think that they're just they're going to be these one-off events, which will be perfect because my prop bet is going to be betting the under of 2.5 goals in this match at plus 120. And I'm very much looking forward to that being completely obliterated by minute 30. Let's do this, dude. I'm going over 2.5 at minus 150 because I don't think they should break your brain. Real does not have any clean sheets in the last six. They leaked two to Almeria, and Almeria's bottom of the table and minus 28 in goal differential and hanging two on uh, on Real just a couple of weeks ago. They've only, Do you know they've only kept uh, two clean sheets the entire year against teams that are top half of the table in Spain and none, not a single time since September have they kept a clean sheet against a top half team. This is not the like defensively dominant team. Plus they have a hole in goalkeepers. So like I'm taking the over, I'm laying the juice and let's go head to head on this one. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm always happy to go head to head on these here, but for me, again, it's the spreadsheets, Toby, that draw me back in. They're just getting a little unlucky with some of the finishing here. Uh, and that's the the reason I think why the clean sheet record looks way worse than it actually is. Um, 
for the most part, they've allowed less than a goal's worth of chances in their in their recent run here. And at some point, I mean, look, your Chelsea Reddit board gets upset about this all the time. But this is, I think it's their last one, two, three, four, five matches they have allowed less than a goal's worth of chances. And they have allowed goals in three of those five. So it is definitely something that I think is gonna it's gonna have to revert to the mean at some point. But like I was alluding to at the Chelsea Reddit boards, when your team was supposed to always catch up to their XG and they never did, we don't know when that happens. So you very well could kick my butt on this bet. I'm more than ready to accept it. But for me, it was hard to go away from what's going on with the underlying numbers. XGFC. Uh, <laughs> the underlying numbers and the five pint are that you destroyed me in January. I didn't even look at the final score. I knew it was over um, even before we kicked off the last round of matches, but certainly when we were about halfway through. But I'm on tilt. Uh, I, I'm admitting that right now. I will say so tomorrow on Trendy. I feel like I've got chicken blood all over me with my recent picks. So the only way out is in. Let's double down with five plus money bets to start off February in the five pint. If I can't hit uh, five of my bets, let's see if I can just hit one or two at good odds in order to make some money. We're going with City to win, both score at plus 180. We're going with Liverpool on the money line at plus 200. Darwin Nunez, shot, 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 shot. Two shots in the first half, plus 160, my personal favorite bet of the weekend. Real Madrid to win and both teams to score, plus 220, which would obviously uh, hit the over in that case. And so I am parlaying the Real Madrid Atletico over in your face, Brett. With the over in the Tottenham Everton game, I am putting two overs together and getting plus 178 for my weekend full of action. What are you doing? Well, you know, Toby, when you uh, when you're on a run like I am, you know what the thing to do is you do something you've never you've never done before. That's how you that's how you respond to that. And I've never in my life, I don't think on this show have made all five of my five pint picks prop bets. And of course, right after I'm on a heater, that's what I do. Um, Mix it up. Yeah. So I'm going with the uh, Madrid Atletico under 2.5 goals at plus 120. Uh, I'm taking the Cole Palmer plus 450 as the first goal scorer in the Wolves match. I am taking both teams to score no draw in Everton at Spurs at plus 120. I'm taking City to win by exactly one goal at plus 225. And then I'm taking Liverpool to win either half at minus 110. For my money line or spread free five pint slate, which I'm almost positive I've never done on the show. And of course, it's coming after my best run ever. So <laughs> can't wait for the 0 for 5. It's going to be great. <laughs> All right. Well, I can't wait for this weekend. I'm so glad to have the Premier League back. I know yeah. that I've said that second, several times. And they are back again next weekend, which means we will be back as well. So enjoy all the action. Enjoy uh, the beautiful game when we don't have NFL to watch before the Super Bowl. And we will be back next week with our usual interchange of horrible advice backed by expert analysis. Take care, everyone. 